Welcome to Cinderella, a podcast where we'll be taking a look at some of the most unlikely sports moments of the 21st century. Now, we're going to be talking about a lot of upsets in this podcast, but what's not an upset is that my partner and I are doing a podcast during a quarantine. <laughs> we are the friends formerly known as the Bet Podcast. I am Avril Sirigar, and on the other side of the world, is that Chris Burton's music? Chris, how are you doing? You know, I'm doing great. You're right. This this podcast is all about upsets, but the fact we're doing it is rock chalk, baby. <laughs> and I'm so I'm so excited to uh, to be talking to you on the other side of the world. You're in Singapore. I'm here in Chicago. Um, different time zones, different levels of you know. Some would say that I am younger and more beautiful because I'm 12 hours behind you. How would you How would you feel about that? I mean, I I think that's what the small the loud minority are saying. Uh, but I think I, I think most people know that. Uh, I'm just smarter than you because I, you know, I've been through 12, 12 more hours of life than you. And you know, in those 12 hours, Chris, let me tell you something. I learned a lot. I learned a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Did you by any chance learn what we're going to be doing in the podcast today? Yeah. So in this first inaugural episode, we'll be looking at that 2011 Mavs Heat series where LeBron James destroyed the league and everything it stood for. And uh, still couldn't get the job done. <laughs> and then caught and then caught some karma for it on the other end. So you know what? <laughs> yeah, you know what? Like, if we're going quick takes on this on this entire series, obviously huge for LeBron. Might be even bigger for Dirk. Right. Sure. Um, and we're gonna get into all of it and more in our upcoming deep dive. So how we're gonna break this down just to start is we're gonna take a look at some history on the David side and the Goliath side. And then we're going to ramp up into talking about what happened and uh, throw some fun information at you on the back end. So uh, enjoy this ride with us. It's been a blast preparing for it and I can't wait to get started. All right, Chris, do you wanna start off with David? Yeah, I'll, I'll just jump in. So David obviously in this case is the 2010-2011 Dallas Mavericks. Um, and this was the definition of a grizzled veteran team. You know, there, there are three headliner stars. You had Dirk Nowitzki, he's 32. Jason Kidd is 37. He turned 38 over the course of the season. Jason Terry is 33, and he's two years removed from his sixth man of the year season with the Dallas Mavericks. So you got some stars on decline here. Um, not necessarily on decline, but, you know, stars who are past... Or, or nearing the end of, of their primes. Dirk and Jason Terry are the only holdovers from the 2006 loss to the Heat, which I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about more. But to give a preface for those unfamiliar, the Mavericks lost to the Heat in the 20, 2006 NBA Finals, um, and that was a pretty crushing blow for Dirk especially. Um, they went on to, to lose the 2007 losing the first round of the 2007 playoffs in uh, one of my favorite series of all time and something we'll definitely be doing down the road on this podcast um, to the We Believe Warriors. Now, the ramifications for Dirk here, he was part of a group of NBA players that you never really want to be a part of. It's like, it's this, this group is it's like an honor, but it's also like a backhanded honor to be one of the greatest players to ever play and not win a championship. You know, obviously Carl Malone is 
the poster man for this group of players, but it was looking like, you know, Dirk's 33 in, in 2010. It's looking like Dirk more and more like he might become the, the number one greatest player to never win a championship. And although that's a testament to his greatness, it's never something you want to see on your resume as an NBA player. So not only were the Mavericks stars old, but the supporting cast was old as well. They were old, the oldest team in the league at 30 point, an average age of 30.9. To give you some context for this, Toronto, the Toronto Raptors team that won the 2019 NBA championship was 26, average age of 26.9. So the, the Mavs had, on average, were four years older than the Toronto Raptors, which is kind of incredible um, to think that they were able to pull something off like this. They also were not nearly a title contending favorite. Before the season, they had plus 2,000 title odds. Um, and not only were their odds pretty low, but they were dealing with a lot of powerful teams in front of them. Obviously, the Heat, who I'm sure you'll get into their the, the powerhouse nature of their um, of their run, but you had the Lakers coming off back-to-back championships. This was um, Kobe, you know, in his prime, torching the league. And you had the Russ, KD, and Harden Thunder, which I forgot, you know, they that that was this era, was the when they were all kind of like just coming into their own, you know, this this was that era. And also you had the Tim Duncan Spurs who would win 61 games in that in this season. So you had a lot of teams in front of the Mavericks and uh, nobody really thought that they would do much in the playoffs should they make it there. Um, the fantastic story that I found in my research um, for this podcast, in early October, this is before the season starts, Jason Terry is chilling with Deshaun Stevenson and Jason Terry is like, you know what? Bring your personal tattoo artist over here. I'm going to get a tattoo of the Larry O'Brien trophy on my bicep before, (laughs) before the season starts. I mean, that's kind of your shot right there. I mean, Abriel, I love, I know you love the, um, bet on yourself kind of guys. You're a huge fan of those guys. This is one of the greatest all time bet on yourself moments. Um, Right here from Jason Terry. And also, how big of a flex is it that Deshaun Stevenson has a personal tattoo artist? Like, that's so sick. Honestly insane, but can I just say, I do love the bet on yourself, guys. But if I was on that Mavs team, I'd be like, Jason, we're not going to win the championship. Uh, you don't want to do this. <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, that's that's super fair. You, had, you look at this roster, and it's Dirk, who is obviously one of the greatest players of all time. Jason Kidd, 37, 38 years old. Jason Terry, who's coming off the bench, great bench man, one of the greatest of all time, but um, you don't really have that. Miami Miami had an incredibly talented big three. You don't have that with Dallas. You have Dirk, and you have a bunch of pretty good guys and a bunch of role players. Um, and so it's just, it's really incredible what they were able to do. Uh, so their starting lineup opening day Karan Butler, Tyson Chandler, Dirk, Jason Terry, and Jason Kidd. That's that's a wild starting lineup 
to say out loud, and then you're going to say these guys won the championship. Um, and also, not only that, but the starting lineup shifted a ton during the season for reasons I'm going to get into in a second, but also just Rick Carlisle was trying to get the best combination of all of these guys. You know, they have Sean Marion on the bench who will come in and start about 20 games. Um, Deshaun Stevenson obviously will come in and be a, a factor in the playoffs, but they have a lot of, of, of big shooting guard to small forward guys that they're trying to get in, in this lineup. And uh, that's going to be even, even tougher when in late December, the Mavs are 24 and five Dirk sprains his knee. Um, so he's out for a couple weeks. The Mavericks drop, drop three games, and in that third game, Karan Butler tears his patellar tendon. He's out for the season. Sean Marion gets put in his place um, to start a few games, and the Mavs win two games and then drop their next six. And I think Karan Butler was never seen as you know a game-changing kind of player, but he averaged 15 points per game for this Mavericks team before he got injured, and people underrated the the impact that his loss was going to have, I think. Um, because, you know, the Mavericks at this point, Sean Marion is able to step up, thankfully, for the Mavericks, but um, it just makes it that much harder to, you know, power through with this old, old lineup that's honestly pretty worn down at this point. Um, so the Mavericks end up with a three seed in the NBA playoffs in the West, Um, right behind the Spurs, who I'd mentioned before, won 61 games, and the Lakers, who are coming off back-to-back championships. They beat Portland in six games in the opening round. This is the young LaMarcus Aldridge Portland team. Then they go in and they sweep the Lakers, which honestly we could probably do a podcast about just that series as well. Um, Dirk taking over, beating beating Kobe um, in... Kobe prime mode. Um, and the, you know, to be completely honest, the Mavericks had no, had no right to, to sweep the Lakers. They had no business being in there and not dropping a game. And they come out of that Lakers series and they beat the Thunder in five in what might be the Dirk, the defining Dirk series. He goes for 48 in game one. He goes for 40 in game four. He just absolutely insane in the series and really shows the young guys that it's still an old man's league at this point. You know, the LeBron's 26, but all of the stars for the most part are, you know, you have Kevin Garnett on the Celtics, Tim Duncan on the Spurs, I think is 33 at this point. And it's really still an old man's game in 2010, 2011. That wouldn't shift until... 2014, 2015, when you started having the next wave of young superstars. So that's where we're, that's where the Mavericks are headed into this final series. Abriel, tell me why the Heat were so formidable. Well, well, first of all, great analysis. And yeah, that Dirk series against uh, Oklahoma City was just, he was just a man possessed. Like, I, that was the first time I he ever was thought, insane. like, this guy, he's like saying, nah. Fuck the script. We're not supposed <laughs> yeah. to win this year. The, the directors, the writers, they've written this this whole playoffs, but we're saying no. We're going off book, it was, improvising. It was incredible. 
to see him just put the team on his back in that. Like, like unbelievable stuff from him. And Dirk's the kind of player that could put a team on his back like that. Like, almost unlike, you know, maybe Kobe did it with the Lakers um, a few times, but the sheer force of will that Dirk had to say, no, you know what, we're going to win this game, was absolutely insane. Um, and it's going to come up again uh, in this in this podcast run. Yeah. But back to the Heat. All right, so we went with David. We looked at David. Let's look at Goliath. So it's the Miami Heat team, and it's the first year of their big three. Uh, LeBron James and Chris Bosh, two all-stars, joining Dwayne Wade, who's already there. And we'll look at those three players a little later. But I just wanted to get into something. A lot of the times, I mean, this segment's called David and Goliath. And you can argue that it kind of implicitly um, implies that the good guys are the underdogs and the bad guys are the favorite. However, in this example, I think that designation is appropriate. I mean, at that time, a lot of people felt that this formation of the big three disrupted the parody of the NBA. They didn't like how, oh, they weren't built. They were bought. And because of this... Uh, and among other things that I'll touch on, this Heat team was, I felt like, where majority of fans wanted to see them lose. And this was before they had even won a championship. I mean, like, usually you wait until a team gets really good and then you're annoyed at them and then you're just, you say, I don't want to see them win anymore. But this was a team before they won a championship. Everyone wanted to see this team lose. And also, I mean, listen, if, if, if you're going to have a franchise and you're going to be villains, don't call yourselves the Heat because Beat the Heat rhymes. I mean, that's just marketing 101, but let's just keep going. So, <laughs> Poor branding. Poor branding there. <laughs> Poor branding decisions by my guess. But, um, so you looked at the odds of uh, the Mavericks. The Heat opened as plus 175 favorites to win the championship ahead of the Lakers, who, as Chris mentioned, had won back-to-back championships, which is insane to say that these this team could win right off the bat that's how much faith they had in these three players and obviously the blueprint was um the 2008 celtics who who had their first big three they won in their first year so people kind of saw the mold and thought well they could just replicate that despite everyone's belief in the preseason that they would win the championship they actually started pretty slow they, they opened the team nine and eight a lot of uh speculation was about the team wanting Pat Riley to kick Eric Spolster out and coach the team. And it, it was great to see Pat Riley being like, no, fuck you guys. He's going to stay on as the head coach. Um, you know, in terms of like just uh, player empowerment, I think these days a player doesn't like uh, as three-star players or two-star players don't like the head coach. I mean, that head coach is gone. So for Pat Riley to be like, I'm listen, I've won more rings than you can count. Eric Spolster is going to be our head coach. I thought that was pretty cool. So they finished the season 58-24, and 24, a second seed in the East behind that Bulls team led by Rose, another team you could argue one of the best teams to never win a championship. And coming into series against the Mavericks, they were actually undefeated in home at the playoffs, and they never went further uh, than five games in that playoffs before facing the Mavericks. Now let's look at those that big three. Obviously you have Chris Bosh, who's kind of the third cog He's kind of the guy that nobody really looks at, but he's as important. He was an all-star in Toronto. He never got out of the first round, though, before he went to the Heat. And the year before, he actually got bounced out of the— uh, He actually never even—didn't even make the playoffs. So 
I mean, at this point, Bosch chooses his legacy as I'm going to be remembered as a winner instead of a guy who might have, you know, a, a good team, a good stats, bad team guy. Um, you talk about sacrifice for Bosch. He actually went from scoring 24 points last year uh, to this year in 2011 to scoring 18.7. Dwayne Wade, obviously, um, the person who was at the Heat, we're, we'll talk about this kind of Batman-Robin relationship that everyone wanted to put in, put on this Heat team a little later. But he was already a champion before LeBron got there. He was already Finals MVP. Um, it, it was weird. It was the he had to kind of say relegate his role or allow LeBron to kind of take the mantle up as the best player on the team. And that was a pretty weird dynamic in the finals when LeBron was so passive, and I'm sure we're going to talk about that later. In terms of sacrifice, um, he actually was scoring 26 point, 26.6 points before the formation of the Big Three. He only moved down to 25.5, so Wade actually pretty doing, doing pretty well for himself. Now, LeBron, obviously, the past year, LeBron had lost to the Big Three Celtics in the Eastern Conference Finals. He had that terrible Game 5 where he shot 3 for 14, and it's what people point to as one of LeBron's worst moments of his career, minus this series that we're getting to. Um, and and there was a there's a forming narrative that as Le, as good as LeBron was, and at this point he already what he already had one two MVPs, he didn't consistently perform enough in biggest moments, and people doubted his ability to win championships. You know, Magic won in year one, Bird won in year two, Jordan won in year seven, and this was year eight for LeBron. And people started saying, if you really are the best player in the world, you have to win championships. I mean, it doesn't help that Kobe's on the other side. Um, just winning championships and also playing amazingly. Obviously, LeBron also did the decision where he had a one-hour special on ESPN declaring that he was leaving the Cavs for the Heat, again adding to this idea that he's a villain. And people just didn't like that. People didn't feel like it was right for LeBron to take the easy way out, quote-unquote. Um, so yeah, that's that's the Goliath part of it. Well, Abriel, we're going to go through this game by game and really break down what happened in these 2011 finals. Uh, I'm going to open it, up, open it up to you. You got this game one, um, and it's it's an interesting game one. So take us through it. Yeah, and here's a quick point of order. I can't remember games being this low scoring. Um, right. I thought it's it's kind of wild. I mean, I don't I, I don't know. What rules were implemented to change, like before from 2011 to now? But I, it might well, you just, know, it might just be the you three point it, revolution and how people play. I mean, Tyson Chandler probably is not going to play uh, right. today. In in today's game, he wouldn't be as effective. But he was such a good rim protector when people were still, you know, going to the rim, shooting more mid range shots that. I'm sure that's probably why the games were lower scoring. Sorry, you were going to say something. Exactly. No, I, I was just going to say, um, and I, lift, I listened to a podcast called the Locked On Mavericks podcast uh, in preparation for this episode. Fantastic podcast. If you guys are, any of you guys are Mavericks fans, um, definitely check it out. It's, it's really phenomenal. And they, um, one of the stats they had was that Dirk in the season shot, I think it was around two uh, three-point attempts per game. Like, how insane is that? 
the the level the leveling up of the three pointer um, in today's game is just has been um, astronomical, and that's I think that's the biggest reason why you see games that are you know 121 to 103 now instead of you know there there were games that in in the series that both teams scored in the 80s, and it's really just a factor of teams taking. Uh, far more three pointers. The the statistics revolution has um, really just turned the game around, and teams are teams are attempting so many more three pointers now that um, you're just seeing a lot a lot more scoring. And I think you're right in the other sense that you know there is defense being played in the series that you don't see anymore. And I'll get into a little bit of that um, in some of the later games, but it's. It's there's a lot of twos, a lot of long like mid range jumpers that are that that you see, and um, not a lot of three pointers being made. To be honest, yeah, hundred percent. So that first game, the Heat shoot thirty nine percent. The bad news for the Mavs is they shoot thirty seven percent, and it is a shit show, as they say. <laughs> uh, and you know what? In that first game, it didn't look like. A miracle was going to happen in the series. LeBron scored 24 points. Wade had 22 and had 15 of them in the, in the second half, which is going to be a theme. Um, you can look at LeBron's raw numbers, but then looking at the series again and looking at his numbers in the fourth quarter or his play in the fourth quarter is something that is really enlightening about why people had that belief that LeBron just didn't want to play in those big moments. Now, Nowitzki had 27 points in that game, but no other player on his team besides Sean Marion, who had 16, and Jason Terry, who had 12, had double-digit points. And another theme in this mm-hmm. in this series was, does Dirk have enough help to even right. compete with the Heat? Um, so how the game ends in the final moments, Wade hits a big three with three minutes left in the game to put the Heat up nine, um, and that was their biggest lead. Dirk would eventually get the lead down to six, uh, but the Heat would close it out with dunks from Bosch and LeBron. And also, here's what I'm going to do. For my games, I'm going to have a Joel Anthony Mike Bibby watch. So, um, <laughs> Joel Anthony and Mike Bibby are the other two starters on this 2011 uh, Heat team. And uh, Joel Anthony and Mike Bibby combined for as many points as high school April and high school Chris did, which is zero points. <laughs> zero points. Um, tough look for our guys. But to be fair on them, like, they didn't, they weren't supposed to score. That, were, that wasn't their jobs. Right. But, um, their jobs their jobs were to be on the court and uh facilitate the scoring for the big three big three but um honestly you know I what? love their job their job is like uh <laughs> what we tell the the first years to do at sports night hey just don't fuck this up for us that was their job exactly. <laughs> just be bodies just literally be bodies in in the workplace and don't be bad enough to where we lose it because of you yeah that's that's it that's all you gotta do and can i just say uh, i would relish in that role <laughs> <laughs> oh i would love that role okay. just to be you know be there you don't have to do anything else just to be but be there and uh i think that's something that i can get behind for sure all right, all right. so we're going into game two mavs need a win here uh, because you can't start out in a 2-0 hole even going back to your to your home court, um, it's really hard to climb out of that 2-0 hole. The the last team to do it, in fact, Abriel, you know who this is? Two last team to climb out of a 2-0 hole in the finals? In the finals? Um, what? It's it's the Cavs, right? 
Oh, oh, no, sorry. Since, or before 2011. Oh, I have no idea. It was the 2006 Heat. Um, so Ooh, okay. the Mavs, they, they need a win. They know that it's possible, but it's all obviously, you know, not great. Um, so this game's really close. It's tied to first quarter, end of the first quarter. It's tied at the half. And then in the second half, the Heat start showing why they are, they were so favored to win the, the title. They start pulling away, um, with seven minutes to go, Heat are up 15, uh, in seven, seven minutes to go in the game. So this is in the fourth quarter. And then the Mavs start chipping away. You know, Jason Terry scores six. Uh, Sean Marion has a layup. They end up pulling within two points with a minute and a half or so. Um, and this is when this game gets awesome. I didn't remember how good this game was, but re- on the rewatch, it's probably one of the most exciting games that I, I can remember. Um, so the Mavs are, Mavs are down two, down two to the Heat. The Heat have this just absolutely i don't know how this happened they run the shot clock down twice so they're they're on offense Mavs are on defense the heat run the shot clock down get it to lebron at the top of the key and he has like he runs left and has like a terrible off balance three attempt um and it clanks off off the iron udonis haslam or um i think Dwayne wade at this point gets the rebound and they run the shot clock down again, get it to LeBron, and he takes the exact same terrible three attempt. It hits off the iron again. Udonis Haslam gets the rebound and then turns the rebound over. Um, Jason Terry corrals it, goes down the court, uh, flips it to Sean Marion, who gets it to Dirk for a layup, and the game's tied. Um, now... I want to credit the the Mavs defense here. They were doubling LeBron pretty much all game, and um, they forced those bad shots. But the the Heat offense on that play is really just perplexing. Um, so then they the the Heat go down the court. The Mavs force a stop, and Dirk comes down and hits a three with twenty six seconds left. Um, it's a really actually an awesome play. Uh, the, the heat or the, the Mavs come down the court. I think, I think Jason Kidd is handling point at this point and Dirk and Tyson set a double screen. Um, so Tyson Chandler is at the top of the key. Dirk's more towards the left elbow and they set a double screen and both roll out of it. And Dirk rolls out to the three point line and Tyson Chandler, like he's an offensive lineman that's going up to get a linebacker block on the second level, he goes and seals off um, Adonis Haslam and leaves Dirk wide open from three. Dirk drains it. Um, he or The Mavs are up by three. The Heat then advance the ball in a timeout and run a cross pattern that confuses Jason Terry at the top and leaves Mario Chalmers wide open in the corner for three. Like, this is the most wide-open shot I've ever seen in a finals game. Um, so Mario Chalmers hits a three. It's tied at 90... Tied at 93, I want to say. Um, and 26... Or, um, 
24 seconds left, I think, at this point. Yeah, tied at 93, 24 seconds left. Mavs come down the court. Jason Kidd is dribbling um, kind of in the in the corner where close to half court, um, but in the bottom corner, just dribbles out the clock. Um, and then he dribbles in, gets it to Dirk. Dirk isos on Bosch, spins, drives to the rim, and lays it in to go ahead with four seconds left. Um, the Mavs come to, or the, the Heat come down the court. Dwayne Wade misses a, a really long three-pointer. And one thing I forgot to mention is that Dirk played this entire game with a torn tendon in his left middle finger. He tore the tendon in game one. Um, but he has a bunch of layups where he finishes with his left hand. And it's just insane to watch him power through this pain. And again, like he puts the team on his back. He scored 24 points, led the Mavs in scoring, and the Mavs go home, tying up the series. And at this point, the Mavericks have home court, essentially, because it's a tied series 1-1. It's a five-game. Five games are left, and they have three. Mavs have three games at home. So it's it's a Mavs home court series going uh, going into the third game. Yeah, you know what? Some people don't like the finals format just because the 2-3-2 puts the pressure on the away team to win the next three games. It, it, it does seem a little unfair. I mean, it, I, I don't know, because then you have to close them out. Like, you have to win three back-to-back games, which some could argue is harder than um, going with the regular format. But that's neither here nor there. In the third game, it was more of game one. It was a low-scoring game, 88-86. The Heat take it. The same old narratives. Nowitzki had 34 points and 15 in the fourth. Didn't get a lot of help from his teammates. Um, Wade had 29 points and 11 rebounds. Now the now Bosch actually hit the game winner with six uh, from 16 feet with 40 seconds left in the game. But before that, Dirk had actually went on a 12 on a 12 straight scoring run and ended up tying the game um, at 86 uh, at 86 points. And so that that shot that Bosch hit was the last shot. It was the game winner. 16 feet. Wade and Bosch both had seven points in the fourth quarter. And this is, again, the theme of LeBron not contributing as much in that fourth quarter. Um, even in a win, he had a pair of turnovers in the fourth as well as a shot clock violation. Um, so, th- again, this this idea that LeBron um, not being clutch was something that, you know, all the talking heads were hammering. And that sentiment that Dirk didn't have enough help um, – it's, it, it it was getting to a point where even Jason Kidd, a player on his team, said that after the game, someone else had to step up. When you're talking about the unlikelihood of the Mavs winning the series after this loss, um, up until that point, in that 2-3-2 format of the finals that I was telling you, the team that won Game 3 um, during a tied series had, won the champ- had gone to win in the championship all 11 times. So basically, if the Mavs were going to win this championship, they would have accomplished they would have accomplished something that no one has ever done. So right. if you're talking about David and Goliath, this is Mavs really backed in their corner. And mm-hmm. finally, Joel Anthony Mike Bibby watch five points. <laughs> is this so the, the the Joel Anthony Mike Bibby watch is that total or is that just that's in the combined. Games? That's combined total. Combined total. But not cumulative. So well, right it's now game it's by game. cumulative because they've <laughs> scored zero points in the first uh, game. 
But, gotcha. But no, it was not cumulative. Okay, okay. Um, but honestly, it could be. I, To be honest, I didn't look up how many points Joel Anthony and Mike <laughs> Baby scored in hey, It wasn't your priority, two. my guy? It wasn't your priority in making this? <laughs> it was, uh, no. But um, it could be cumulative for all I know. Okay. So we got, we're going into game four, and Dirk Nowitzki has a 101-degree fever before the game. Um, so things are not looking great for the Mavs. It turned out to be a sinus infection, but I'm going to call this the Dirk flu game uh, just because that sounds better than the Dirk sinus infection game. Um, and Dirk would finish this game with 21 points. Um, the Mavs had another fourth-quarter comeback. Um, it wasn't quite as stark as the uh the one in game two i think it was a nine point lead for the heat at some point um in the fourth but uh the heat the or the mavericks would go on to win 86 83 and just um terrible game from lebron eight points three for 11 nine rebounds seven assists but uh, broke a streak of over 400 double-digit performances. Um, that's in the regular season and in the playoffs. Uh, and it's just insane to see this LeBron stagnant line, you know, having the foresight that we have, knowing that the rest of LeBron's career will be what it is. Eight points on three for 11 shooting is an absurd LeBron stat line. And again, here I have to give credit to the Mavs defense, they're doubling him and they're making it really hard for him to get any rhythm going. Um, now, that does come at the expense. You give Bosch some looks. You give Wade a lot of open looks, actually. Um, I think Wade had almost 30 points in this game. But uh, the Mavericks came out on top and they knew that the priority number one had to be shutting down LeBron. And they did it. And um, they they won this game. And the the downside for the Mavericks is, you know, you talk about how much of a bummer it is that they lost game three um, because now they just drew even again. But just like they had won home court in game two, they lost it here. So it's a three-game series now with two of the games being at Miami. They're going to get one more game at home but they have to close out the series in Miami. If they're going to win the finals, they're going to have to do it on the road. Yeah. I mean, that was LeBron's... Is, that might be LeBron's worst performance ever. I think it might be. In any game. Like, judging by the stage and the output he had, I think it is... I think you can make an argument that it's his worst performance he's ever had. Yeah, and so... On the heels of that performance in Game Five, LeBron said, "Hey, this is now or never." Quote: "Now or never." End quote. And uh, he would find out <laughs> that it would be never. So he did have a triple double. <laughs> he had seventeen, ten and ten, which is a good stat line. But defensively, the Heat were just not there. The Mavs shot sixty percent for three quarters, yeah. which is uh, kind of ridiculous. And <laughs> that's pretty insane. And the narrative that Dirk didn't have enough help, um, that started to shift here. Jason Terry had 21 points. J.J. Barea had 17. Tyson Chandler and Kidd 
had 12 each. I'm not going to spoil it, but Joel Anthony and Mike Bibby didn't have as many points. Um, Dirk also- and they're starters. <laughs> Berea, Berea and Jason Terry are coming off the bench, if I'm not mistaken, for this in this game. Right? Right. <laughs> Dude, I don't know why. Joel Anthony and Mike Bibby it's coming really, for us. It's really tough. I really hope Joel Anthony and Mike Bibby don't listen to this podcast because it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough for them. But hey, they, I mean... You know, when you're playing with the big three, that's what you got to do. Honestly, not their fault that they lost this series. Okay. No, not at all. So Dirk had 29, and he, again, scored the go-ahead bucket with three minutes remaining in the game. The next two possessions from the Heat were a LeBron James offensive foul and a LeBron James missed three-pointer. So, you know, I don't know. I said that now or never. Uh, just don't yeah. say anything, LeBron. And then <laughs> after that, Jason Kidd sealed it with a three I mean, the two mm-hmm. Jasons, they, in this entire series, they, they came up so big. Um, the, the, the story of this game was, though, that Wade had a little bit of an injury, so he came out of the second um, half a little late. Um, mm-hmm. But I think the fact that the Mavs shot 60% for three quarters really uh, tells it all. The, the, the Mavs won 112 to 103, which is one of the higher scoring games of the series. Joel Anthony and Mike Bibby had four points uh, to, together. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, so we're going into game six. Uh, the Mavericks fly and Heat fly to Miami. Um, it's on Miami's court. And I'm really tempted to call this the Jason Terry game, but I feel like that's disrespectful to Dirk, who you know, was also a powerhouse in this game. Dirk had Dirk ended up with 21 points, 11 rebounds, um and really came alive in the fourth and exerted his will. Like I like I said earlier, there haven't been many players who have been able to just sheer force of will their team to win like Dirk was able to. And this this was one of those games. You know, Jason Terry had 27 points. I'm not in any way discounting what he did in this game because it was incredible. But just to watch some of these Dirk jumpers in the fourth quarter, and you can see it on his face just how badly he wants this. It's incredible. Um, Miami didn't play a bad game, I have to say. Uh, LeBron ended up with uh, 24 points, I want to say. Uh, my the, the one thing that the Heat didn't do well was they turned the ball over a lot and the Mavs capitalized on it. Scored 20, 27 points off 17 Miami turnovers. Um, and it was it was back and forth a little bit, but um, towards, towards the end of the, four, the third and the fourth quarters, it was, you know, the, the Mavericks started to pull away a little bit. Ended up being 105-95 Mavs. One, my one gripe I have for this game is, so Dirk hits a layup to make it... Um, 103.92, I think. And there's 20-something seconds left. Um, and the Mavs have the ball. Uh, the, the Mavs stop the Heat and get the ball back. And, you know, the Mavericks are up by 11 points. At this point, let Dirk have the last shot in the game and just admit defeat. But Spolstra tells his players to foul. Um, and... They foul, uh, Mavs hit their free throws, and then the, the Heat come back and I think hit a three. But the game was over at that point. 
I would just I personally I would have liked to see Dirk hit the last shot in this game. But um, Mavericks take the game, take the series, and there's a great shot on the re- on my rewatch um, in the broadcast of Dirk. You know, there's the as the clock's expiring, Dirk heads to the locker room. Um, everybody else comes out to celebrate on the court, and Dirk heads straight for the locker room, and there's a shot of Dirk walking in the tunnel, and you can see the exhaustion and the relief and the emotion on his face. Um, and his teammates aren't around him. It's just Dirk, and I honestly think that kind of encapsul- encapsulates this season. It was just Dirk Nowitzki sheer sheer willing his team to victory the whole time. Um, and absolute credit where credit is due. Jason Terry was incredible in the season. You know, um, Sean Marion stepped up with the Karan Butler injury, but this is Dirk season and this will always be remembered as Dirk season. Yeah. You know what? Um, that's sorry. One more thing. One more thing I want to note. Uh, there's a business insider article that has some phenomenal pictures of the Mavericks celebrating in Miami with Mark Cuban. It's it's incredible. We'll try and throw the link wherever we post this. Um, but just like absolutely fantastic photographs. Yeah. 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 I mean, those are all great points. I think the the point of Dirk, like sheer willing the, the entire season is, is pretty accurate. I mean, obviously, like you said, um, credit to where it's due. I think Tyson Chandler was actually defensive player of the year for the, for the Mavs the year after this. And yes, you're he right. was, um, Absolutely. I mean, they just had a good team, and where everyone knew their role, and mm-hmm. um, just a, just a strong hierarchy, which is something that I think we'll try touch on. I'll try to touch on a little bit later. But Chris, I mean, looking at this series as a whole, um, how did this series change the legacy of two of the most important players this game has ever seen? Not Joel Anthony and Mike Bibby, but LeBron <laughs> and Dirk Nowitzki. Now, well, um, for Joel Anthony and Mike Bibby, you know, <laughs> it, <laughs> no, you're you're totally right. Um, Dirk, you know, wins a title, and and honestly, it changed the legacy for a lot of guys, not just those two. It was Jason Kidd's first title. It was Jason Terry's first title. Right. Um, so obviously, great for those guys that they were after such, you know, effort put into this game that they were able to come out on top, but. The two legacies that it for sure did change the most were Dirk's and LeBron's. Dirk gets off the list of greatest players of all time without a championship and just simply becomes one of the greatest players of all time. There's no asterisk next to his name anymore in the record books. Um, And personally, as someone who... I didn't watch much of Dirk growing up, but I have grown to appreciate his game um, as I've started to get into NBA history a little more, um, it's just the best feeling. And, and I'm going to go back to that shot, seeing him walk off the court and just knowing that he gave every ounce of everything he, that he could, um, to get himself over that hump. Um, it's just, it's a great feeling to not have to write his name with an addendum anymore. Um, now on the flip side, LeBron starts to pick up the mantle of greatest player of all time without a championship in the series. You know, he's already, um, he, d- he doesn't have a championship in this series and he will 
obviously win a few, win, win two with the Heat. Um, so hindsight is twenty twenty, But, you know, at this point, it's starting to become the narrative of LeBron can't finish in the playoffs. Um, and which is just, again, something wild to say with, with all of the hindsight that we have. But um, it, it was a tough narrative for LeBron for a couple years. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think you pointed out like perfectly. Dirk Nowitzki all of a sudden was like a table at the Pantheon for one, please. And he was saying, <laughs> and now people are saying that Dirk is like could be argued as a top twenty player. And you know, he in an era where not maybe not exactly the same era, but in a league where it started becoming about super teams and about um, t- teams with multiple stars. Dirk Nowitzki, as an as a singular All Star, won a championship by by himself on the team he was drafted in, and mm-hmm. you can never take that away from him. He didn't have to no, go anywhere. He, and if you want to make the argument that he's a top twenty player, I mean, it's you you can make that argument. I think I think I would make that argument. And also, before we get into our segments, I just want to note while we're on Dirk that. Dirk's fingerprints are all over the game today. You know, there's no Kevin Durant reaching the the stardom that he's reached without Dirk. Um, there's none of the stretch five, stretch four, um, you know, talent explosion that we've seen without Dirk being as good at his game as he was. Um, and that's that's something that I, again, you can't ever take away from him. And it's it's heartening to see that he can now be talked about as one of the greatest players of all time. 100%. And then on the flip side, again, looking in hindsight, LeBron and everyone now just talking about who's better, LeBron and Michael. We have that conversation almost every day. I think ESPN has that conversation it's... every day. <laughs> but the if because they're both so great and have accomplished such great things, I think what comes down to it and why people say Jordan is ultimately better is not insight on their successes, but insight on their failures. And Jordan's lack thereof compared to LeBron's glaring failure in this series, I mean, I think we can all forgive him when he was in the Cavs alone against the Spurs in 2007. Mm -hmm. This series is where people will point to and be like, hey, Jordan never lost as a favorite. And right. that's just, you know, that's true. LeBron's my guy. That's true. But... When you're talking, <laughs> when you're talking legacy, this series really does still affect LeBron's legacy. Um, simply in the fact that he wasn't able to take over the game like Dirk was, you know, and I think that's one of the biggest storylines when you look back at the series is that. Dirk took over the series. LeBron did not. And when you're talking about, you know, who should be considered the greatest of all time, I think that's something you have to take into account. Yeah, when you're talking about greatest of all time, you're talking about the margins. And LeBron has accomplished great right. things, but you can't argue with this. Chris, are, yeah. can we move on to our next segment now? Let's get it done. You know what? Do you want to explain it? Yeah, you know what, Chris? <laughs> I've never been more excited. <laughs> <laughs> This is a fire segment. I'm really excited about this. In Infinity War, Doctor Strange 
looked at 14 million futures to see if they could beat Thanos. <laughs> and he said there was only one where they could do it. For this segment, we're calling it the Doctor Strange segment, we'll look at how many times we think the outcome would be the same. Is this destiny? Was this always bound to happen? Or is this something timeline defiant? Is this something that Dirk Nowitzki willed from himself in this one universe and in the other 14 million universes, Michael Jordan is not even as good as LeBron James in everyone's minds. <laughs> so, All right, well, I know, I know we're going to disagree on this, so I'm just <laughs> going to throw out my take first. Um, I think, honestly, this was more one of the more unlikely victories that we're going to cover on the podcast. Out of, out of 14 million, to put a number to it, I would go 1,000. Um, you know, I think, I think, <laughs> I think there are universes in which Karan Butler doesn't tear his patellar tendon and the Mavericks actually end up stronger. But when you think about everything the Mavericks had to do to get to where they are and considering their age and the wear on some of these guys, like if, if that Lakers series wasn't a sweep, if it was, say, a six- or a seven-game series, I'm not sure that this Mavericks team would have had enough stamina to put away as good of a Heat team as they did. Because a lot of where the Mavericks excelled in, this, in these finals was their defense, and that's something that, with fatigue, starts to worsen and worsen and worsen. And, you know, if they would have... They, they lost three games in the run-up to the finals. If they would have lost, let's say six, I don't think they beat the Heat. Can I just say something, Chris? Go at it. It's a, it's a beautiful argument. And and can I just say this? <laughs> if we're talking about the entire playoffs and the entire season, then yeah. It, a thousand out of 14 million sounds right. Sure. But I'm just talking about this series. If everything had okay. happened and we replayed this series, I think that the Mavs win because I think that the Heat have some real hierarchical problems about. Okay, so going into the season, there were talks about LeBron James and Dwayne Wade being the Batman and Robin. Right. Which is fine, but. <laughs> unless you're Chris Bosch. Unless you're Chris Bosch, 100%. But it's also <laughs> fine, but who was Batman? We all wanted to believe LeBron was the better player. I think we can all agree, even at this time, LeBron was the better player. Right. But Dwayne Wade was getting the ball in the end of the moments. He was the one that people were trusting with the ball. He was the one that had been had a longer tenure at the Heat. Mm-hmm. I think... Now, if you've read any Batman comic, Justice League comic, <laughs> or really any comic from the DC Universe, you know that when Batman walks into the room, the hierarchy changes. It's straight right. up... Oh... Superman, great, but that's Batman. He's the alpha. We're all looking to him. Mm -hmm. And even in the Last Dance documentary, that's something that Michael Jordan, it seems, we never watched him play, obviously, but you get the sense that he was always the alpha among alphas. And he would force even Scottie Pippen, who, when he came into uh, to the league, thought that he could be just as good as Michael Jordan. He forced him to say, hey, listen, I'm the best, and it's not close, so I'm going to be the alpha. 
Right. LeBron, Michael Jordan walks. Right. Michael Jordan walks in a room, and it's immediately clear who's in charge. Right. It's it's Batman. It's legit Batman. Right. And LeBron, at this moment of his career, couldn't do it to the point where he wasn't ready to tell Dwayne Wade, "Hey, listen, I you're an amazing player, but the ball has to. I have to be the one to touch the ball. I have to be the one." Right. And he was passive in in these moments. He was passive. Um, so this, I, not having a hierarchy, not having a real identity about who was supposed to be the best player, I think that just tore away at the Heat so much. And here's another thing. The problem with designating someone as Batman and Robin is that someone has to be Robin. Now, if <laughs> right. you're me and you're like, hey, you're going to play the Robin for Chris Byrne, I'm down. But if you're Dwayne Wade, who already won a championship, who already won a finals MVP, who's been on the heat and thinks that this is his team, for him to just come and accept LeBron and saying that guy's Batman, which, you know, in the next season, he actually made a real point. Like every interview, he was saying, this is LeBron's team. This is LeBron's team to, to make sure that LeBron took that mantle. But in that first year, I understand why Dwayne Wade's saying, no, fuck it. Last, last possession, I'm the one shooting the ball. It's, it's my team. And right. just that problem, I think, would have persisted in this game and the uh, in the series. And the other side of it is, I think LeBron needed this loss to to unlock himself. Mm-hmm. I think he needed to lose this series so that he could, because the off season for this, LeBron is famously locked up in his mansion and he's just sulking and just right. practicing to get better in the next season so I, I'm in I mean, that series so I think that you know he needed this series to get to where he was and he would have lost the series because 4-2 it is a isn't, turning point. isn't yeah it's a 4-2 it's, it's a yeah. series as well but yeah I don't, it's, know. I don't know it's a turning point in LeBron's career for sure like like little LeBron as we know him now was born out of this loss I think um, you know you make some great points I'm going to continue to take the rest of the season into account <laughs> but um no, I mean I agree. The Mavericks were a better, you know, and uh, I think Chris Bosh actually, actually, Chris Bosh or Dwayne Wade, I can't remember which one, but one of them came out after Game Six and was like, you know what, they were the better team in this series. We we were not as good as the Mavericks in these in these six games, and I think that's a credit to. Rick Carlisle's coaching, honestly, Rick Carlisle did a fantastic job. He's such in this an underrated. We don't talk him about about him enough. We really don't. Um, you know, we we extol Spolstra for for good reason. I mean, he won two championships. He he coached those Miami teams well, but Rick Carlisle really left his fingerprints on this game. And um, I think you're right that in an isolated setting where you have everything played up until the six game series i think then it becomes a lot more likely that the mavericks actually win out yeah and apparently after whether it was chris bosh or Dwayne wade that said that the mavs were better than them they looked at joel anthony and uh mike baby and like we're talking about (laughs) you fucks by the way and then they left or whatever statistically (laughs) the mavericks Every almost every player on the Mavericks was statistically better than Joel Anthony and Mike Bibby. Yeah, that's the thing about the Mavericks. We talk about not having a clear hierarchy with the Miami Heat, not people, not, people not understanding their roles. Everyone in that right. team knew exactly what to do and knew exactly oh, who the best player was. Exactly, exactly. All right, 
let's move to our second segment of the podcast, which is our Where Are They Now segment. Um, now, this game, or this series, isn't, you know, too far in the rearview mirror. So some of these aren't going to be too wild. I'm hoping when we start getting into, you know, 2003, 2004 region that we're going to start seeing some some really de- far departures from uh, from the whatever game we're talking about. But um, right now, I'll just I'll just highlight a few for the Mavs. Deshaun Stevenson started 21 games in the playoffs. Uh, he's now playing for Ice Cube's Big Three League. Uh, he is a member of the Ball Hogs with Brian Scalabrini, the White Mamba, coached by Rick Barry. Just a fun little tidbit. Also, <laughs> uh, shout out, shout out to Ice Cube's idea to uh, play the Big Three on an island, and in the time of coronavirus, to uh, to give people some sporting stuff and have them all like isolated on this island. Um, in just like a bachelor type mansion, I think was the idea. So uh, props to Ice Cube, I guess. 100%. 100%. <laughs> um, some, other, some other great ones from this, um, from this team. Roddy Bobois, he was 22, 23, I think, actually, at the time of these finals. Um, and he was supposed to be kind of one of the up-and-coming Maverick stars um, didn't really work out that way. Uh, he now plays for Anadolu Efes, which is a team in the Turkish Basketball League. Um, but he's only thirty-two, so he uh, still kind of in his prime. And uh, Peja Stoyakovic, the Mavs picked him up off waivers after the Karan Butler injury, um, and he finished his career this season. Actually, he would never play another game after the 2011 NBA Finals. He's now the general manager for the Stockton Kings, which are the uh, Sacramento Kings NBA G League affiliate. So uh, good on you, Peja, Peja I guess. Um, and, he, you know, he was really great for a couple of years there in really the good. early 2000s. Yeah, he, was he was really, really good. good. I think he was like um, some seventh in MVP voting one time. It was ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Had, had a couple of really good years with the Kings. Um but played well for that for the Mavericks team. He, I think he ended up averaging like eight points a game. So um, shout-outs to Peja Stojakovic. Okay, now we're looking at where are they now for some of the Miami Heat role players. want to point out that a player that got some run in this series that we don't talk about, it, that I didn't talk about a lot, was Mike Miller for the Heat. And obviously this series didn't go his way, but I can argue that Mike Miller is one of LeBron's most important teammates moving forward. He obviously was there for the next two years uh, with the Heat with LeBron when they did win a championship. And as well as this, he like followed LeBron to Cleveland. He's now the Memphis Grizzlies assistant coach. Um, The next two players I want to talk about are, you know, my guys, Joel Anthony and Mike (laughs) Bibby. We knew this was coming. (laughs) Joel Anthony. Okay, I, I want to say this. In fairness to Mike Bibby, he was a really good player once upon a time. Uh, when he was playing no, he for, was. The, for the Sacramento he was excellent. Kings. Um, yeah. This was him at the end of his career, and the amount of Mike Bibby hate, uh, it's, it's not justified. <laughs> uh, so Mike Bibby eventually became a high school coach because, you know what, he cared about the kids. He's not in it for the paycheck like Mike Miller is. I actually have no idea what their motivations are. Uh, don't sue me. Uh, on the other hand, while Mike Bibby had a good 
he was a good NBA player and had a good career, Joel Anthony was what he was. Um, he never really found a team in the NBA. He bounced around a lot. He went to the D-League for a bit, uh, went to the mm-hmm. Celtics, went to the Heat, went to the Pistons, went to the San Antonio Spurs, um, and he finally left the game after playing in Argentina for a team called San Lorenzo. Um, but that's the thing, you know, you want to pay three stars, you have to play yeah. with Mike Bibby and uh, Joel Anthony on your team. <laughs> that's not going to help. You know what? I think you're right. I'm going to defend Mike Bibby for a second. <laughs> Mike Bibby Mike Bibby was a solid NBA player. No, no, he player. was really good. He, he, <laughs> no, no, no. But I'm talking about Heat Mike Bibby, my guy. Sure, sure. No, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. <laughs> All right. Um, I just want to shout out a couple of uh, sources for my research for this podcast. Again, uh, shout outs to the Locked On Mavericks podcast. Um, if you're a Mavericks fan, go check it out. Some really, really great deep dives into Mavericks history and also uh, current Mavericks issues, talking about Luka a lot. Um, so shouts to them. Basketball reference, obviously, uh, a big one, and ESPN um, game recaps for for these, for these uh, finals games. And... Uh, uh, Washington Post article um, that where I found the uh, the Jason Terry getting tattooed uh, before the season started uh, article. Um, so thank you to everyone who compiled all that information and uh, and we I couldn't have done it without all of that. So big thanks. Yeah, hundred percent. Shouts to Basketball Reference and ESPN. I live on their websites. <laughs> oh, the amount of time I have spent on basketball reference in the past week. Just like, it's it's not even like I'll go, I'll do research for this podcast. Like I will do research for the podcast, but then I'll go down a rabbit hole. Like, I wonder what teams Roddy Bobois played for. <laughs> uh, bas- <laughs> I'll like, ba- yeah. Basketball reference is the greatest thing. Uh, on there have i spent oh. many a time scouring jalen brown stats to make an argument why he's better <laughs> than lebron yeah i have and you know what i'm not ashamed about it <laughs> the thing is you can find anything you want on basketball reference so if you want to make an argument that jason tatum is the best player in the league or jalen brown um <laughs> whichever is your preference uh you can. you can probably build that from basketball reference you can if you work hard enough that's the thing you know sometimes <laughs> exactly. you have to be like this exact minute per minutes per game and like right. uh, defensive wind shares per forty five <laughs> or some shit, but you get but hey, there eventually. It, <laughs> it works. It works. Well, thank you for tuning in to the first episode of Cinderella. We'll be right back at you with some more episodes coming soon. Um, but for now, just remember, the Mavericks can beat the Heat. You can do anything. We'll see you guys later.